Again, we're so glad you're here tonight in person and online as we continue to study the book of John. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, look with me to the book of John, chapter 8. The book of John, chapter 8, and we'll begin reading with verse 1. This is one of those stories, one of my favorite stories in, in the book of John, because we see how our Lord handles a situation that was going to be difficult because they're trying to trap him. Uh, Jesus just knew how to answer people. He also knew how to deal with people, and we see this. Uh, Actually, let's begin with chapter 7, verse 53, and there's a reason I I want to do that. It says, everyone went to his home, and then in verse 1 of chapter 8, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone. And the woman where she was, in the center of the court, and straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Pray with me. And Father, tonight as we take this passage, and Father, it is so full of rich text showing us, Father, our Lord Jesus, but also showing us, Father, how we are to treat people. Guide us, Father, through this passage. Help us to understand it, and Father, help us to apply it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look at this passage, I have to address something. Some of your Bibles may not even have this passage in it. Some of them is in italics. Some will have it in brackets. So let me explain what's taking place here. From John chapter 7, verse 53, all the way through John chapter 8, verse 11, in the oldest manuscripts, this is not here. Now, see, uh, please understand, there are a lot of manuscripts. We, we have more manuscripts than any other ancient doctrine out there, document out there. But in the oldest one, this is not here. The newer ones, it's there. So the question is, Why is it not there? Maybe one day we'll find even an older manuscript and it's back in there. We don't know. But that is why it's there. So the question people ask sometimes, well, is it Scripture? Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind that this, this, this is Scripture. This is part of God's Word because God arranged it to still be here. The earliest manuscripts don't have it, but it remains. Uh, even the ancient, uh, the early church fathers preached on this passage. They, they commented on this passage. So there is a lot of evidence it should belong here. 
And you say, well, does this happen any other place? Yes. Remember, we studied the book of Mark, the book of Mark chapter 16, the last part. I remember I said that's not in the oldest manuscripts either. So please, if you're confused by, by brackets or italics in your Bible, maybe some Bibles don't even have this passage, let me say it belongs here. Now, possibly, probably it was written by Luke, but, but whatever the case may be, this is Holy Scripture and it's inerrant. And it's a great story. It tells us the story about our Lord Jesus. And it almost is like a play. You, you read it and you can see the different acts like a play. It begins with Act 1. A woman caught. It says in verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Jesus gathers into the temple court. And the people come and they want to hear him teach. There's been no other teacher like Jesus before or since. The Feast of the Tabernacle has come to an end, which meant there's still great crowds in Jerusalem. And there is Jesus, and he's teaching. And while he is teaching, they're interrupted. This crowd of men are coming toward Jesus. They're surrounded by this embarrassed woman. The men are pushing their way through the crowd. The men are insistent to talk to Jesus. Who are these men? Well, John tells us. Verse 3, they're the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the teachers of the law. These are the well-educated. These are the PhDs of the law. These are the men that were supposed to have a lot of wisdom. These are the men that were supposed to have good moral standings. If anyone had a question about the law of Moses, you go to them, you go to the Pharisees, and they could answer everything, no matter what it was, concerning the law. But they may have been religious, but they weren't godly. Because on this day, their intentions were no good. This group of men, this group of proud, self-confident, arrogant, ruthless, hypocritical men, comes to Jesus for a reason. It's an embarrassing story for her. Again, in verse 3, they caught a woman in adultery. And then verse 4, they tell Jesus about it. Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They caught her in the very act. King James Version says she was taken in adultery. Twice it's said here she was caught. They bring her to Jesus. Who was she? We don't know. We don't have a name. We, we don't know if she's young. We don't know if she's middle-aged. We don't know if she's older. We don't know if she's single. We don't know if she's betrothed. We don't know if she's married. We don't know nothing about her except that she was caught. And she was caught in the very act of adultery. The rabbinical law was very specific on this point. They asked for the death penalty. This was a capital offense. The law demanded for a capital offense to have two eyewitnesses. It's not just enough to say, I saw her entering to a room. It's not enough to say, I saw her exiting a room. It's not enough to say, I heard that she was having an affair. No, they had to see her in the very act. That's what they're saying here. Now, how is it possible for this to happen? How is it possible to see her in the very act? Unless possibly 
this was a trap. They trapped her, probably. And there's another factor of the story that's missing. Did you notice who's missing? The man. We caught her in the very act. Well, if you caught her in the very act, you caught the man too. But they don't bring the man to Jesus. And when they talked to Jesus, they said, the law says the woman should be stoned. Well, no, both should be stoned. So where's the man? Is it possible that he, this was prearranged? They, they hired someone to do this? Is it possible they, they actually knew the person and he was a friend and they don't want to get him in trouble? We don't know. But we know this. They caught her the very act, but they only bring the woman to Jesus. And by the way, they didn't have to bring her to Jesus. And they didn't have to bring her publicly to Jesus. They could have brought her to Jesus later. They could have just handled it themselves. But they brought her to Jesus publicly because they wanted everyone to see how Jesus is going to respond to this. And they wanted to kill her. They wanted to stone her. Again, the, the Jewish law knew capital punishment was an easily abused penalty. And therefore, they made it extremely, extremely difficult to fulfill in capital punishment. I mean, you had to have two credible witnesses. And according to the Jewish law, they had to agree on every point. In other words, if you had two witnesses in a Jewish court and one said one thing and one said the other, it was thrown out. I mean, it, it, almost to the point, if someone says, well, they, they were wearing a red robe and someone else said, oh, there was a blue robe, that's out. In fact, there was a case in Jewish law where someone was found innocent because the two eyewitnesses could not agree on the size of leaves outside the home. I mean, they took capital punishment very seriously. They want to be sure that whoever is going to be killed deserved the capital punishment. The Mishnah, which is the Jewish commentary on the law, said that a court that executed more than one person every seven years was a slaughterhouse. So for them to bring this woman to Jesus is really kind of rare. And they bring her to Jesus. The darkest, most shame-filled moment of her life. When she's in the crowd, standing before Jesus. She's bound. They're pulling her down the street like a disobedient puppy. They throw her down in the ground in front of Jesus and say, Lord, teacher, what are we going to do? Look what it says. Verse 5. Now, the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? In case we don't understand this, I love how the Bible gives us commentary. Look at verse 6. They were saying this, testing him, that they might have grounds for accusing him. There it is. This has nothing to do with the woman. They don't care about the woman. They're after Jesus. This is a trap. They brought her to Jesus. They probably set it up in order to get to Jesus. And they asked him a question. This was the trap question. Okay, teacher, the law says to stone her. What do you say? Now, did you notice they did not ask Jesus if she was guilty? That had been established. That's a certain. They called it in the very act. Well, they're asking now, what about the penalty? And they could point back to Leviticus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 22 uh, uh, about 
the punishment, especially sexual sins. And they say, okay, teacher, you tell us now, what are we going to do? And however Jesus answers in their minds, Jesus is going to lose. So let's look at it. If he forgave her and said she doesn't deserve the punishment, the people would say, well, you're breaking God's law. It was plain from the Jewish law that she should be stoned. That was the law. And if he forgave her, then he's against the law. But if he condemned her and agreed that she should be stoned, he would be breaking governmental law because only the Romans could execute criminals. Uh, they had to go to the Rome and get permission to kill people, to do the capital punishment. So if Jesus said that, they could go to Rome and say, hey, look at this guy. He is going over the Roman authority. And not only that, Jesus has been preaching and talking about love and forgiveness, and the people would turn against him if he said to kill her. This is a great trap. I mean, the law of Moses is at stake because the law is very plain about the penalty at this time period. The life of the woman was at stake because if the law was carried out, she is going to die. And the love of Jesus was at stake because if he condemned her on the spot, they would think he wasn't loving. And he would lose the title, what Mark just said a few moments ago, friend of sinners. Humanly speaking, this was brilliant. They were using this accusation to trick him. Verse 6, they were saying this, testing him, so they might have grounds for accusing him. So what would he do? Act 2, Jesus writes in the sand. It says in verse 6, but Jesus stooped down. And with his fingers, finger, he wrote on the ground. There are many times when I read the Bible, I wish I could be there. There are many times in the Bible, as I'm reading, I wish I had more information. This is one of those times. I want to know what he wrote. He doesn't tell us. Jesus stoops down. Now, again, you got to get the image. The people are in uproar. They drag this woman through the dirt. They throw her at Jesus' feet. They're yelling at Jesus, Teacher, what are we going to do? And Jesus calmly stoops down with his finger, begins to write. What did he write? Now, I appreciate the fact that Jesus doesn't answer them quickly. He first refused to say anything. Many times we, we answer too, people fast, too fast. Sometimes people ask us a difficult question and we answer without thinking. Sometimes people ask us difficult moral questions or, or questions that, about our opinions that we answer too fast where we should really need to take a step back. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger began to write. Now, there are a lot of theories. Some thinks he wrote the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And they said that because it's very common for a judge to write the law in the sand before he passed judgment. Some people believe he wrote the name of the man that didn't show up. 
to show that he knows all things. Some people believe he wrote mercy or forgiveness. Some people believe he wrote all the Ten Commandments, beginning with the first one. Remember the book of Exodus? God, the finger of God, wrote the Ten Commandments. Maybe that's what Jesus was doing. Maybe he's writing something else down. There's a clue here. The, the, the word to, to write down in the, in the Greek is a special word. To write something down is graphene, which means to write down. But this is katagraphene, which means to write down a record against. In other words, there's a list. He's writing a list. He's writing something as a record. So maybe he is writing down the Ten Commandments. Or maybe he's writing down sins and looking at people. Writes down a sin and look at Zach over there. He writes down idolatry and looks at Josh over there. He writes down lust and looks at Matthew over there. He writes down drunkenness and he looks at Peter over there. Maybe he's writing down their sins. We don't know. But whatever he wrote made something click with those people. So look at verse 7. While he is writing, they're persisting for an answer. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Jesus says, all right, hey guys, we're going to play a little game. You're absolutely right. She is guilty. So we're going to stone her, but here's how we're going to happen. The person without sin can throw the first stone. Now, that phrase, without sin, is a strong word. It doesn't mean that you don't have sin. It means you never wanted to sin. This is the pure person. This is the person who's never sinned, never wanted to sin. He has no desire to sin, not just the outward or inward. This is inward, everything. He said, all right, you throw the first stone, and you can stone her. Jesus said, let that person begin. And then he stooped down and started writing some more. Gossip. Bigotry. I don't know what he wrote. But whatever he wrote, they were watching. And they started looking at one another. Now, maybe Jesus is thinking, because in, in, the, in the book of Deuteron Deuteronomy, chapter 19, it says that a witness in a trial must not testify falsely or with malicious intent, or it disqualifies them. If they do, the punishment has been inflicted on the victim to be melted out to them. That was the law. In other words, if you committed perjury in court, you got the punishment of the person you did the perjury to, Jewish law. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying as he's writing. Okay, guys, the ones without sin, you can throw the first stone, but got to be careful. Because the Bible says, God says, you cannot have malicious intent in bringing judgment on someone. And he kept writing in the sand. These men were troubled. Look at verse 9. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older one, and he was left alone. Jesus is writing in the sand, and all of a sudden he hears, as they're letting go their rocks, beginning with the oldest to the youngest. Why? Why? I have a theory. 
I think the older you are, the more aware of your sins. That's my theory. The older you are, the more you're aware of your sins, especially when they're confronted. Act three. Pardon given. In verse nine. He was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. The men have gone. But she's not out of the woods yet. The men have gone, but the facts haven't changed. She has sinned. Her reputation is ruined. She is guilty of breaking God's law. So now you find Jesus with a sinful woman, this woman caught in adultery. And Jesus looks up and he answers the question. He says, woman, where are they? Those who condemn you. Has no one condemned you? Who's bringing the charges? And she looks around and she says, well, no one, sir. No one, Lord. He said, therefore, I don't condemn you. Now, you probably already figured this out. You realize there was one person there that could have thrown the first stone. Jesus. He committed no sin. He had no desire to sin. He could have thrown the first stone. But he turns to her and says, I don't condemn you. In verse 11, it says, no one, Lord. Now, some translations put the word sir, but better translated Lord there. When I read this, what amazes me She's still there. Her accusers have left. Jesus is looking at the ground. Why didn't she run? Because she knew she was guilty. She did not deny that. She knew that she was guilty. This woman was walking in darkness, walking in shame and the agony, and now she has met Jesus. And Jesus says to her, I do not condemn you either. You see, when you come to Christ, there is no condemnation. You are not what you did. You are not what they say you are. You are who God say you are. Because of his grace, there is no condemnation. Do you understand what's going to take place at the end of this book? Jesus will take her condemnation. Jesus is going to take her punishment on the cross. He is saying to her, something is going to happen that I'm not going to condemn you now. Do you deserve it? Oh, yes, you deserve it. But I'm not condemning you now. Neither do I condemn you. Can you imagine what she's feeling at this moment? Knowing that Jesus knew exactly what she did, and now he is saying, I am not going to condemn you. Because Jesus knew that in a few days, in a few weeks, he's going to go to the cross for her. He's saying to this woman, lady, I, I do not condemn you because I will be condemned for you. The stones ought to be thrown, but they're going to hit me. Spears should be launched, but they, should be, they will be on my, in my side. Thorns ought to be brought down, but they're going to be around my skull. I don't condemn you. I want you to notice the order of his words. I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. Did you notice the order? He didn't say, now sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. 
That's what religious people say. Religious people like to say, clean up your act, and then we'll accept you. God doesn't say that. God, God says, I do not condemn you. Now go sin no more. Religion says, change or I will condemn you. Religion uses fear and intimidation to make people measure up. Grace says, I will forgive you. I will change you. We don't change in order to be accepted. We change because we have been accepted. It's a big difference. Nothing motivates stronger than grace. And also don't miss this. Don't don't think that adultery or any other sin doesn't matter. Jesus never plays it down. He's not saying, hey, there's no big deal. He's admitting it. He says, yes, I'm not condemning you. Now go sin no more. What you've done is wrong. You have broken the commands of God. He didn't just push it aside. He's confronting her with the sin issue. He says, sin no more. He confronts her. He doesn't say, now, I, I understand this was a trap. I understand probably they, they, they d- did something and confused you. No, he says, sin no more. He didn't say, oh, now, this was a mistake. No, he calls it sin. Sin no more. I mean, God does that with us. God doesn't do in the darkness and say, look, I know you're just trying to do your best. Don't worry about it. No, God says what you're doing is sin and sin no more. He doesn't say, you know, you've always struggled with that, and and that's okay if you fail every now and then. I know it happens sometimes. No, he says sin no more. There is an urgency in what Jesus says here. There's this urgency. He says go now, not later. Go now. You are free now. You were living in the darkness, but you're not living in the darkness any longer. Go now and sin no more. So don't think he's playing down the sin. Don't think he, he's just pushing it aside. He's saying, I'm going to pay for this. And what you've done is sin, but I do not condemn you. You realize, I hope, all of us here and online, we're like this woman. We're all guilty in the eyes of holy God. All of us have sinned. All of us have been caught in the very act by God's justice. We all deserve hell. We all deserve death. We are all helpless and unable to change our condition. We cannot do it on our own. We are doomed. And unless someone steps in to help us, we cannot buy our way out of trouble. We cannot talk our way out of trouble. We cannot deny our way out of trouble. We're like this woman. And that's why we need the gospel message. It's just as powerful to us now as it was 2,000 years ago. Just when we're about to be condemned, Jesus steps in and he rescues us because he died on the cross. Jesus looked at this woman. And maybe there was somebody in the crowd that day who said, you know, her sin should be paid for. It was. Jesus paid for it on a Roman cross outside of the city of of Jerusalem. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. What he meant was this, I do not condemn you because one day I will be condemned for you. That's what Galatians mean. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says that Christ became a curse for us when he died for our sins. Christ took our pain our shame, and our guilt on that cross.
And he says to us tonight, when you give your life to him, because that's what she did. She said, no one, Lord. When you give your life to him, I do not condemn you. Now go and sin no more. We bow your heads. Maybe tonight you're searching for answers. Maybe you're like this woman that you've been trapped, caught, trying to figure out how to get out of the darkness that you're in. The only solution is through Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that next week. We talk about the light. But tonight I want you to know that Jesus died for you. And to give your life to Christ, you need to admit that you're a sinner, saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross 2,000 years ago for my sins. He was buried on the third day he arose from the grave. And I confess, I give him everything. I give him everything in my life. I'm holding nothing back. Will you do that tonight? If you're online, if if you'd like to give your life to Christ, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call, talk to you about your decision. But if you're here tonight, will you make that decision? Or maybe there's someone in your life Someone in your family, somebody in your neighborhood, someone at work, they need this gospel message. They need someone to tell them about the, the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, who when you give your life to him, he will say, I do not condemn you any longer. Go and sin no more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.